Namaste and welcome to the Bharatvarta Weekly. Thank you so much uh, for joining us on this lovely Sunday morning. It's bright and sunny here in Bangalore. Hi Ashish, hi Vatsa, how are you guys? Hi Kelly, doing well, how are you? Good Kelly, two keep more saying, weeks of lockdown. Yeah, two more weeks of lockdown, May 24th. Uh, some of the nuances are not clear, but yeah, I mean, staying indoors, staying safe. I hope all of you guys are taking care of yourselves and staying indoors. So, all right, let's get to it, I guess. Uh, first bit of news that we want to talk about. Uh, this is, again, one of the popular requests from Twitter as well, right? Uh, the government is pushing for privatization of IDBI, BPCL and SCI. The Cabinet Committee on Economic Affairs has approved the strategic disinvestment in IDBI Bank. Similarly, the Cabinet has also pushed ahead with the privatization of BPCL, opening up the financial data of the company to bidders. This undertaking aims to raise about $23 billion for the government. These disinvestments are seen as an important step for the government to make up for tax revenue that was lost during the pandemic. Ashish, uh, as I mentioned, this is one of the oft-requested things uh, on Twitter. Your thoughts on how this will actually affect things? Yeah, Gary. So, uh, see, privatization talks have been going on for like a couple of years. And uh, as we know that after the Vajpayee government uh, in 2003, the whole privatization story has uh, kind of, uh, you know, been a non-starter. Uh, we haven't had any uh, outright sale of companies uh, after 2003, although we have had divestment in the sense of mergers and acquisitions and government reducing its stake through, uh, you know, open offers in the market. All of that has happened. But I think uh, we are practically as close as possible now to three processes as uh, as we could get. Uh, and let me talk about each of those three. So first, the IDBI uh, is actually one of the banks which was sold to LIC, uh, as in the sense that the government of India did not directly own it, but LIC owned the bank now, owns the bank now. And um, that uh, stake is now apparently going to be sold in the open market. Uh, the Cabinet Committee on Economic Affairs approved this on Wednesday. And the next step, of course, would be to uh, for to, to for LIC to invite bids and to, to uh, get the due diligence done for the for the potential buyers and so on. So it's still, a, let's say, I would still say it's like a year away, the, the actual sale. Maybe it will complete this financial year, hopefully. But uh, uh, I think some good progress there, uh, and I think that's that's uh, in the, in the budget also the government very clearly said that they will divest or sell IDBI plus two other uh, public sector banks, right? So I think that's that's kind of uh, uh, setting the tone for that announcement uh, starting with IDBI. Uh, BPCL, there are again uh, in the in in the month of December we had heard that there were three three bidders for BPCL. Uh, the uh, Vedanta was one of them. They publicly said that they were they had expressed interest. The other two were global funds. One of them being Apollo Global Management. So uh, this process again with having sold uh, with the government having sold Dumaligar uh, uh, refineries, which was sorry uh, retained Dumaligar refineries, which was one of the units which the government wanted to retain and carve out of VPCL. That has been done. So the due diligence is now going on for these uh, three. I mean, these three bidders are looking at the company and and so on. One limitation there is that uh, BPCL divestment will need physical inspection of sites, which is very difficult during the pandemic time. So the process has been a little slow because of that. But hopefully, again, uh, you know, the government should be able to close this uh, this financial year. I mean, they they they've gone a fair distance on on this one already. 
lastly on the shipping corporation of india uh, this one uh, is an interesting case because uh, this has moved much faster compared to some of the other, other processes and uh, yet again uh, we we've heard uh, just this week that there are three bidders who have uh, qualified from the initial expression of interest so these are usa us based uh, safe sea uh, hyderabad based mega engineering uh, and uh, there was a consortium which is led by ravi mehrotra uh, who was actually a ex employee of sci very interesting so he is a businessman uh, who who runs uh, uh, you know a shipping business and he has formed he has got partners from belgium like uh, xmar and uh some other uh, partners from dubai etc to for, for to to bid for sci so uh i think this one is now moving into the rfp stage where the the three bidders will be issued and uh, the three qualified bidders will be issued an rfp and they will get back with their uh, responses and so on so uh my my guess is that sci should definitely happen this financial year i mean this is probably the closest so so pending any judicial or political interferences we should see sci being sold this year uh the one which will not move or which hasn't moved is air india which we have spoken about in the past on bharat vata but it looks like air india is in a bit of a swoop again because um the business itself is not active right now uh, due to the pandemic so i mean government wants to sell it but there also has to be a buyer for it so and then i think that's where uh, the the airline industry is not going to suffer because you may not actually get a buyer for a while unless one of the indian indian companies uh, steps up so but uh, i think overall good progress despite the pandemic uh, we just just hope that things do close uh, in in this financial year because uh, with, the, with the political situation the way it is the political capital for getting some of that this done is immense and uh, it may the, the government may face challenges uh, given the recent electoral situation and so on so it's it's it, it's a bit of like this year or never type situation all over again and let's hope that some of it this actually moves this year yeah no i think in our previous discussions one of the points brought up was the feasibility of some of this and utilizing the political capital to be able to do all of this uh, so certainly you know uh, some way ahead i suppose uh, in some exciting news uh, an indian biotech startup has reported an early cancer detection breakthrough i was reading this and it is uh, pretty fantastic uh the scientific discovery allows for the detection of cancer and the stage of the disease uh from a simple blood test with virtually 100% accuracy uh the test known as hrc has been developed by mumbai based firm epigenerist uh, biotechnology and singapore based zar labs the company is aiming to bring the test kits to market in india by around september or october of this year it is also working on securing regulatory approvals and setting up the required infrastructure uh the interesting thing is that uh, the ceo of zar labs is amish tripathi's uh, brother ashish tripathi uh and uh, the company is managed by amish's uh, family uh, uh father and his family actually so what's that this is pretty interesting right i mean this could literally save millions of uh, lives every year absolutely absolutely so i mean cancer is the uh, biggest cause of death globally uh about you know one in six deaths globally happen due to cancer uh and you know every year about 14 million people are diagnosed with cancer and the thing is that most of them are in countries like india where uh, you don't really have the infrastructure to detect cancer early and the thing with cancer is that the earlier it, it is detected it's more curable and at later stages 
it becomes more expensive to cure and also the treatment becomes complicated patients suffer through a lot so from that point of view uh, having a non invasive test that quickly detects and is an early indicator of cancer is is really fabulous news uh the interesting thing with uh, with this particular test is uh, uh, as as i mentioned it's completely non invasive and that uh, it 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 has a very high accuracy so they've tested it on about 1000 people and uh, what they found is uh, something that you mentioned that's called as vsel these are very small embryonic like stem cells which are usually found in the bone marrow and the quantity of them is kind of an indicator of whether cancer is present or not so this is an early stage test but the paper has been peer reviewed and published uh, so it it seems like it's it's going in the right track uh, having early diagnosis which can be done at scale is absolutely critical uh, as i mentioned earlier because early detection means that the treatment is much you know cheaper and it's much less complex people don't have to go through radiation and all of that you know which is expensive which is really hard on patients their family their finances and so on so definitely definitely looking forward to uh, seeing this kind of scale uh, and you know it comes from amish's family so pretty remarkable family that they have in the sense that you know you know two brothers are running this business and another one is a diplomat and a prolific author so yeah hats off to them i uh, know Im- imagine just sorry, to add go ahead. Ahead. Uh, just to add uh, i was talking to anish uh, a day before and we trying to get them on bharatwarta both anish and ashish oh, nice wonderful so if they if that happens then uh, you know we would have have four, four siblings uh on 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 the oh on, yeah <laughs> like that actually eventually happens materializes so let's see uh, waiting for uh, the reward from ashish no i mean i was just thinking right what a family i mean imagine being born in a family where one of the brothers is uh, a best selling author perhaps the the most you know uh, most popular author in india and the others are curing cancer right i mean it's uh, it's it's just amazing amazing and more power to them uh moving on Indian Railways has received its 100th fully electric locomotive from Alstom. Uh, the French manufacturer will deliver around 800 electric locomotives of 12,000 hp under a contract of for about uh, 4.22 billion dollars. These locomotives will be used to transport up to 6,000 tons of freight at over 100 kilometers per hour. Uh, this project is said to be the largest foreign direct investment (FDI) project in the in the Indian railway industry. In December 2020 these trains initiated their services on the first fully operational sections of the dedicated freight uh, corridors Ashish uh, we're seeing uh, Indian rail infrastructure for freight being extremely strong right becoming extremely strong and robust uh, give us a big picture here the Alstom uh, uh, JV with Indian Railways is very significant for Indian Railways this was the second la- la- second uh, uh, public private partnership after the G a uh, partnership for diesel locomotives 1000 diesel locomotives which we signed in 2015 and this one happened soon after uh, in 2015 16 time frame also the alstom deal is to make 800 uh, electric locomotives in india uh, as the picture suggests they are tagged wag12 so uh, the way indian locomotives are uh, named w stands for broad gauge which is a uh, 5 feet 5 and 1/2 uh, feet 1676 mm gauge basically 
uh, a stands for overhead uh, ac and uh, uh, the the uh, the the numeral g uh, uh, stands for uh, the uh, goods part so this is like the, they are going to be used for goods transport transportation 12 is essentially 12000 uh, horsepower so uh, pretty pretty uh, high powered locomotive uh, which is being manufactured in bihar uh, in uh, in madhepura uh, this project was actually started or actually envisaged or conceived in 2007 by lalu prasad yadav's uh, railway ministry which is why of course the location was madhepura which was his uh, constituency and his general area of influence uh this did not take off for a while uh the the project only took off uh much later after the french indian collaboration started taking shape uh in the in the wake of the the rafael deal right so that, that that was at the time when a lot of french investments happened in india in those two three years between 2014 and 2016 and this was one of them and uh, the uh, the good thing here is that uh, the project has moved on track uh, despite some initial hitches uh between so there was some lack of coordination between the state and the center so it took a while but since 2018 the project has done pretty well uh the first locomotive was kicked off uh in 2020 uh and uh, in 2018 sorry and uh we, the the uh, i mean there was a, there was some import component earlier but now uh, in the in the uh in, in the current set of locomotives everything is being made in india or most of it is being made in india in in madhepura so it also helps in the industrialization uh, part of bihar uh, also very critically the uh, dedicated freight corridors which are incrementally going live and we have covered some of this in our past weeklies also uh, they will require uh, such high horsepower locomotives the more uh, freight we carry via railways and in fact last year has been a significant uh, year for railways where they have become uh, a big player in the logistics market in india uh they will greatly benefit from having such high power locomotives and uh, of course the dfc route map for the i mean road map for the first two dfc is st- uh, still a little unsure especially the eastern one because of the 500 km segment which has not been completed but the western one should hopefully get completed in 2022 uh, the, the entire stretch or or let's say 90 95% of the stretch so uh, once the other three uh, dfcs are taken up which again we had talked about in the past the, the surveys which are currently going on uh, i think that uh, uh, i mean they the, their completion will coincide with all these locomotives being available for for india for uh, for indian use so a very good uh, development from uh, from a infrastructure railways perspective and uh, this is a kind of modern technology which will really solve uh, indian issues around connectivity and opening up the hinterlands to new export market and so on right so i mean this is like the plumbing behind all of that and and uh, it, it's pretty good that uh, bihar also then gets the benefit of the industrialization through this project all right uh, in some interesting news uh, ex jaguar and aston martin designer wayne burgess has uh, joined ola electric he has been appointed as the head of vehicle design for its entire product range Uh, Mr Burgess has spent about 3 decades uh, designing vehicles for top British manufacturers some of the companies uh, he has worked in include Rolls-Royce Bentley Aston Martin Lotus and Jaguar Land Rover uh, the appointment comes at a time when Ola is ramping up production of their electric vehicles uh, they are in the process of uh, building the Ola Future Factory in Tamil Nadu the biggest scooter manufacturing facility in the world Ashish um, sorry what's up what do you think about this 
I mean, Ola Electric has been, uh, you know, on some sort of a hiring spree. So this is the third senior hire who has joined in the last one month. Uh, you had Kim Yong Sung, who has spent 35 years in the uh, automotive industry, join in, uh, you know, for sales and logis- uh, global head of uh, sales and distribution. You had uh, Balchander. Uh, and Balchander join as the chief uh, HRO, again, a very experienced uh, HR HR executive. And now you have Wayne Burgess. So it does look like uh, Ola is kind of betting big on Ola Electric, uh, considering, you know, some of the some of the hit their core business has taken uh, because of the pandemic and so on. So the whole idea of shared mobility and all has taken a big hit in the last one year and it it doesn't look like it's going to recover soon. So like any smart uh, entrepreneur, uh, Mahavish Agarwal and his team have identified what the next big opportunity is and pivoted. So I think from that point of view, this is an excellent hire. Uh, primarily because they are looking to take uh, Ola electric vehicles uh, globally. So they acquired this company in Amsterdam last year, Etergo. And they're kind of basing basing their uh, design of the two wheeler on uh, on Etergo's product, right? So uh, from that point of view, having all these global names uh, who have spent a lot of time working in big uh, automotive companies and understand the sector very well, not just you know in India but globally in Europe, in other parts of Asia, and so on. Uh, from that point of view, I think. There is there's been some serious thinking that has gone in, and it seems to have been executed well, uh, because in addition to all this hiring, what Ola Electric is also planning is to set up hundred thousand charging points across India, right? So for their scooters uh, and vehicles, so which means that it it becomes more of an end-to-end business. They're, they're almost kind of following the uh, Reliance model in that sense where you go to them to get the vehicle charged, it's available on the road, you buy the vehicle from them and so on, right? So it it does seem that they're planning something very big and uh, vehicle design is going to be a significant part of that because you have competition in this space. Ather has a fantastic product. Some of the other two-wheeler companies in India, such as you know Bajaj, Mahindra, etc., are definitely going to enter this space. Uh, so having, uh, you know, someone with the kind of experience Wayne Burgess brings in, in terms of design, uh, because I don't think two wheeler is going to be the end, right? So they'll move to four wheelers and so on. That's where his expertise will really kick in and they'll be able to build vehicles that, that are not only functional in, in the sense that electric vehicles are cheaper, but I think we'll see some fantastic looking vehicles in the near future on the roads in India. Electric vehicles, I should say. No, it's a great point to bring up, right? Which is uh, that electric vehicles don't just have to be functional; they have to be aspirational also, because you're inducing a sort of a behavior change in some sense. And uh, I think we discussed this in the venture episode that we did with uh, Rajiv and Nimish earlier. The early innovation that happens has to be fairly full stack as well, because you have to invest in the end to end of the ecosystem to make it happen, right? So. Interesting stuff. More power to the Ola Electric team. Uh, in some global news, uh, the United the United States has announced the waiving of IP rights uh, for some vaccines. Uh, 
the Biden administration announced that they would support waiving trade-related aspects of IP for the production of COVID-19 vaccines. If the proposal is passed by the WTO with support from the EU, uh, pharmaceutical companies all over the world can access proprietary know-how for vaccine production. The move aims to increase vaccine accessibility across the world amidst a second surge of COVID-19 cases as we are seeing here in India. Ashish, uh, what do you think the effects will be and you know, are there any specific blockers to this as such? Right, so uh, India and South Africa had put up a petition in the WTO to waive for, for the countries to agree to for a waiver for the trade-related aspects of IP rights for vaccines and for other COVID medicines, not just for vaccines. Uh, this was in October 2020. Uh, this was moved on the Gandhi Jayanti Day that, that year. Now, this uh, this petition or this this discussion came up for, uh, uh, I mean, uh, came up for views on, uh, on on the TRIPS Council uh, later in October that uh, October last year. And it was, of course, opposed to tooth and nail by US and pretty much all other uh, Western countries. Surprisingly, even Brazil had uh, opposed it then, uh, despite the fact that they were one of the worst affected countries. So the discussion has been on the table for a better part of seven, eight months now. Uh, with the regime change in the US, uh, uh, India had been lobbying for this waiver. And it was last week that uh, the US uh, uh, trade representative, Catherine Tai, so she uh, uh, she announced that US is willing to discuss this at, uh, at the WTO. Uh, it's not that they've announced uh, in, the, in the sense of accepting it, but they will essentially kickstart a discussion at WTO. Uh, following that announcement, uh, then uh, the European Commission uh, President uh, Ursula von der Leyen, who's, uh, who's a German physician and politician, so she also said that the European Union was willing to discuss these waivers, although this was uh, not backed by the German Chancellor Angela Merkel. So, so she has opposed it quite vehemently, but uh, as, a, as a whole, European Union wants to be part of the discussions. And then, of course, the Russian president Vladimir Putin. Uh, she he he basically agreed agreed to be part of, to be a part of the discussions as well. Of course, Putnik is not uh, that high scale right now outside of Russia and some of the countries which were under the Russian influence and under the Soviet influence from the past. But nonetheless, he has also come on board for discussions. So now, what's going to happen is that uh, in in some WTO forums, these negotiations will will take place. Uh, it is not a guarantee that uh, a, this will go through in the sense that uh, the, the the IP waivers may not come through. Uh, there's, there's, of course, a possibility of a probability of that. But it looks like uh, it's a good step forward. I, I would see this as a necessary condition, not a sufficient condition. So the fact that the discussions have started is, is a good step uh, in the right direction. Also, I think the general consensus is that the virus may stay for the next few years, right? It's not going anywhere. So even if the... Uh, uh, I mean, even if the, uh, let's say the negotiations don't complete immediately in the next few months, this could very well be useful for, you know, the next year or the third wave or the third year of the virus, etc. So I think that is what the outlook, outlook should be on on, uh, on on this count. On In reality, what's going to happen is that in case the these waivers come through, uh, it, will, uh, it will have three or four implications. Firstly, the R&D for any new medicines will become easier. So in case there are patents around uh, R&D processes or concepts which the pharma firms hold uh, and someone else is doing research in some adjacent area or maybe an overlapping area, the patents will not be enforced in, in for, for that period in which the waiver has been granted. That is one part. 
secondly for existing vaccine makers it makes it easier to for them to license the production to different countries or different manufacturers uh moderna for example was always willing to uh, not enforce their patents but they they are also been saying that their problem is that there there aren't enough people who understand the mrna technology or who can make the vaccines for them right so i mean they in fact themselves uh, don't have the right number of people so there are issues like that but nonetheless the licensing part will become easier <clears throat> thirdly uh, since the licensing becomes easier and cheaper the the production of vaccines at scale becomes easier in fact china has announced that they are putting up a vaccine manufacturing facility for 10 billion doses a year uh and that's that's of course humongous and i hope that indian firms also do the same at least we also need to have a 2 3 billion capacity uh in the next year or so and if that comes through along with the waivers then uh the uh, remote manufacturing or contract manufacturing of the vaccines and the medicines becomes much much easier so those are the various areas in which the uh cooperation may move i don't see this happening immediately and it doesn't solve the vaccine supply issue today but it could be useful for let's say the third wave or for the third year of the virus next year yeah so in more uh, global news china has objected to chinese companies being excluded from 5g trials in india okay <laughs> the statement comes after india's department of uh, telecommunications approved a list of telecom service providers for 5g trials these companies uh, that have received the permission include airtel jio and mtnl uh Ericsson, Samsung and more, Huawei and ZTE were conspicuously absent from the list. This is yet another chapter in the simmering Indo-China tensions that have been at a high since the Galwan Valley incident last year. In the past India has also banned Chinese apps from the Indian Play Store as well. What's up? What do you think about this? Uh personally I th- I think it's a great move because a uh, few things, right? Uh one is huawei has some history of using their equipment to kind of spy on other countries uh so it's perfectly legitimate for any country to look at them as a as a security threat and exclude them uh what i found really funny was you know the chinese statement where they talked about you know how it hinders the improvement of indian business environment and it's not conducive for innovation and development in the indian industry and so on uh coming from a country which has the most closed ecosystem and you know, which doesn't allow twitter etc to function in their country it it almost seems like a bit of a joke right uh i think the government had hinted this to the companies last year itself in uh two years now we are in 2021 in 2019 where uh, airtel and idea had applied to partner with huawei and zte but uh, after the galwan tensions they were asked to submit only the priority vendor list and that excluded huawei and zte interestingly enough there was a, a sort of document released yesterday which was on uh, eu india connectivity partnership so it came in the second half of yesterday and it talks a lot about promoting you know effective rollout of 5g based on global standards uh you know working closely with india to support relevant use cases for rural development healthcare etc so there is clearly going to be a strong partnership uh, and a joint roadmap that will be developed with uh, 
with EU on this, uh, which is one of the reasons I think you see a lot of these companies are either based of of the EU or they have some sort of solid, you know, trade agreements with the EU, right? So, uh, see, five G is going to be a game changer. It will support, you know, changes in business use cases in healthcare. I mean, it's going to impact pretty much every industry out there. And in order for any country to, uh, you know, leverage it, it's important to work with friendly countries who follow open standards, rather than be dependent on a country that is hostile. And also, you don't know if they're using, you know, their equipment, their technology to spy on you. So, more more power to such decisions. I I think we should, you know, on anything related to high tech. Or consumer tech, I don't think we should uh, allow Chinese technology to come in, and at some point even stop Chinese capital from coming in uh, into these areas. Uh, you know, not allow data of Indian customer etc. to go out of India into China. I think these are necessary steps. So uh, I'm I'm all for this. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Okay, that. It's a wrap from us uh, here at Bharatvartha. Uh, like we have been uh, saying for the last couple of weeks, uh, do join our YouTube community. We have two plans, Plus and Prime, and both of them will give you access to uh, premium subscriber-only content. Uh, we had an earlier episode uh, of uh, a policy AMA uh, with Ashish. Uh, very interesting, very engrossing episode, and uh, we are soon releasing the first of our Itihasa series uh, with Vivek Kaitan where he covers Ayodhya, Kashi and Mathura and the political and cultural significance of these temples, right? Uh, plenty of interesting stuff uh, coming up as well. So we have uh, an episode with uh, Sanjeev Sanyal, who is the principal economic advisor for the government. We have uh, an episode with uh, Maru Fraza as well, who is a defense expert. And then Harsh Gupta, who has been one of our more popular guests, uh, will be returning to talk about uh, economics uh, right now in India. Uh, and uh, Ashish, uh, who else do we have coming up? Uh, actually, let me also clarify that the episode of Maru Fraza is actually the book launched for oh, Kevin yeah. Sinha, who's a, uh, who's a professional and also a BJP spokesperson. So he's written a very interesting fiction book along with his uh, co-author Clark Prasad, uh, where, uh, which, which focuses on uh, bioweapons in a, in, a, in a fictional setting. So Maruf will talk about the concept in general in that episode. So hopefully, uh, unfortunately, he has been out because of COVID and so the scheduling reasons uh, you know, we have had uh, difficulties in, uh, in maintaining a full full rhythm for our episodes last uh, both in April and in May. But hopefully, it settles down soon. So that is the one I'm looking forward to. Very interesting type of a conversation. Then, of course, we will have Anil Padmanabhan, who is the uh, editor of who was the uh, uh, opinions editor at Mint earlier. He is a journalist uh, who will talk about uh, the Indian pandemic uh, uh, situation in Wave Two. That's an episode that we want to do with the CA4C, the Conservative Friends of Commonwealth, uh, as a joint episode. And uh, finally, uh, D.V. Sridharan, who is a big backer of various Indic causes, he has written a book uh, by the name of Good News India. So we have a discussion coming up with him uh, later uh, next week. So uh, although I mean, May has been a little dry for the first 10 days, practically, all because of scheduling issues and conflicts. Yeah. Uh, the next uh, 10 days have five episodes getting recorded and released. So, so pretty good content coming up. And as I said, uh, you know, also discussing with Anish and Ashish on, on, on their cancer detection discovery. 
that's another one which is currently being uh, yeah so as you heard it from ashish plenty of interesting stuff coming up uh, uh, do stay tuned to all of the latest uh, content uh, we update this on our social media as well do check out uh, facebook twitter youtube wherever else thank you so much uh, for joining us this week uh, really appreciate your time and uh, do stay safe and from ashish watsa and myself uh, uh, see you next time thank you